Theatre On Team and Princeton Shakespeare Company are proud to present an audio production of As You Like It by William Shakespeare. Please see the description for a link to the digital program. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that many of us are currently located on the ancient homelands and stolen territories of various Indigenous peoples. Theatre On Team's usual space, the Hamilton Murray Theatre, exists on the land of the Lenape people. We honor the Lenape and other indigenous caretakers of these lands and waters, the elders who lived here before, the indigenous today, and the generations to come. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. As I remember, Adam, it was upon this fashion bequeathed me by will but pour a thousand crowns, and as thou sayest, charged my brother on his blessing to breed me well. And there begins my sadness. My brother Jacques, he keeps at school, and report speaks goldenly of his profit. For my part, he keeps me rustically at home, or, to speak more properly, stays me here at home unkept. His horses are bred better. But I, his, his brother, gain nothing under him but growth. This is it, Adam, that grieves me. And the spirit of my father, which I think is within me, begins to mutiny against this servitude. I will no longer endure it, though yet I know no wise remedy how to avoid it. Yonder comes my master, your brother. Go apart, Adam, and thou shalt hear how he will shake me up. Now, sir, what make you here? Nothing. I am not taught to make anything. What mar you then, sir? Mary, sir, I am helping you to mar that which God made, a poor, unworthy brother of yours, with idleness. Mary, sir, be better employed, and be not a while. Shall I keep your hogs and eat husks with them? What prodigal portion have I spent that I should come to such pernery? Know you where you are, sir? Oh, sir, very well, here in your orchard. Know you before whom, sir? I. Better than him I am before knows me. I know you are my eldest brother. And in the gentle condition of blood, you should so know me. I have as much of my father in me as you. Albeit I confess your coming before me is nearer to his reverence. What, boy? <laughs> come, come, elder brother. You are too young in this. Wilt thou lay hands on me, villain? I am no villain. I am the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. He was my father. And he is thrice a villain that says such a father begot villains. Wert thou not my brother, I would not take this hand from thy throat till this other hand had pulled out thy tongue for saying so. Thou hast railed on thyself. Sweet masters, be patient, for your father's remembrance be at accord. Let me go, I say. I will not till I please. You shall hear me. My father charged you in his will to give me good education. You have trained me like a peasant obscuring and hiding from me all gentlemanlike qualities. The spirit of my father grows strong in me, and I will no longer endure it. Therefore, allow me such exercises as may become a gentleman, or give me the poor lottery my father left me by testament. With that, I will go buy my fortunes. And what wilt thou do? Beg when that is spent? Well, sir, get you in. I will not long be troubled with you. You shall have some part of your will. I pray you, leave me. I will no further offend you than becomes me for my good. 
Get you with him, you old dog. Is old dog my reward? Most true, I have lost my teeth in your service. God be with my old master. He would not have spoke such a word. Is it even so? Begin you to grow upon me? I will physic your rankness, yet give no thousand crowns neither. Holla, Dennis. Calls your worship. Was not Charles, the duke's wrestler, here to speak with me? So please you, he is here at the door and importunes access to you. Call him in! Good morrow to your worship. Good Monsieur Charles. What's the new news at the new court? There's no news at the court, sir, but the old news. Uh, that is, the old duke is banished by his younger brother, the new duke, and three or four loving lords have put themselves into voluntary exile with him, whose lands and revenues enrich the new duke. Therefore, he gives them good leave to wander. Can you tell if Rosalind, the duke's daughter, be banished with her father? Oh no, for the duke's daughter, her cousin, so loves her, being ever from their cradles bred together, that she would have followed her exile, or have died to stay behind her. She's at the court, and no less beloved of her uncle than his own daughter, and never two ladies loved as they do. Where will the old duke live? They say he is already in the forest of Arden, and a many merry men with him. And there they live like the old Robin Hood of England. They say many young gentlemen flock to him every day, and flee the time carelessly as they did in the golden world. What, you wrestle tomorrow before the new duke? Marry, do I, sir, and I came to acquaint you with the matter. I'm given, sir, secretly to understand that your younger brother Orlando hath the disposition to come in disguised against me to try a fall. Tomorrow, sir, I wrestle for my credit, and he that escapes me without some broken limb shall acquit him well. Your brother is but young and tender, and for your love I would be loath to foil him, as I must for my own honor if he come in. Hmm, Charles, I thank thee for thy love to me, which thou shalt find I will most kindly requite. I had myself notice of my brother's purpose herein, and have by underhand means labored to dissuade him from it, but he is resolute. I'll tell thee, Charles, it is the stubbornest young fellow of France, full of ambition, an envious emulator of every man's good parts, a secret and villainous contriver against me, his natural brother. Therefore use thy discretion. I had as lief thou didst break his neck as his finger. And thou wert best look to it, for if thou dost him any slight disgrace, or if he do not mightily grace himself on thee, he will practice against thee by poison, entrap thee by some treacherous device, and never leave thee till he hath taken thy life by some indirect means or other. For I assure thee, and almost with tears I speak it, there is not one so young and so villainous to stay living. I speak but brotherly of him, but... Should I anatomize him to thee as he is, I must blush and weep, and thou must look pale and wonder. I am heartily glad I came hither to you. If he come tomorrow, I'll give him his payment. If he ever go alone again, I'll never wrestle for prize more. And so God keep your worship. Hmm. Farewell, good Charles. Now will I stir this gamester. I hope I shall see an end of him for my soul yet I know not why, hates nothing more than he. Yet he's gentle, never schooled and yet learned, full of noble device of all sorts enchantingly beloved, and indeed so much in the heart of the world, and especially of my own people who best know him, that 
that I am altogether misprized. But it shall not be so long. This wrestler shall clear all. Nothing remains but that I kindle the boy thither, which now I'll go about. I pray thee, Rosalind, sweet my cuz, be merry. Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of. And would you yet I were merrier? Unless you could teach me to forget a banished father, you must not learn me how to remember any extraordinary pleasure. Herein I see thou lovest me not with the full weight that I love thee. If my uncle, thy banished father, had banished thy uncle, the duke my father, so thou hadst been still with me, I could have taught my love to take thy father for mine. So wouldst thou, if the truth of thy love to me were so righteously tempered as mine is to thee? Well, I will forget the condition of my estate to rejoice in yours. You know my father hath no child but I, nor none is like to have. And truly, when he dies, thou shalt be his heir. For what he hath taken away from thy father perforce, I will render thee again in affection. Therefore, my sweet Rose, my dear Rose, be merry. From henceforth I will, cuz, and devise sports. Let me see. What think you of falling in love? Mary, I prithee do to make sport withal, but love no man in good earnest, nor no further in sport neither than with safety of a pure blush thou mayst in honour come off again. What shall our sport be, then? Let us sit and mock the good housewife fortune from her wheel, that her gifts may henceforth be bestowed equally. For those that she makes fair, she scarce makes honest, and those that she makes honest, she makes very ill-favouredly. Nay, now thou goest from fortune's office to nature's. Fortune reigns in gifts of the world, not in the lineaments of nature. No, when nature hath made a fair creature, may she not by fortune fall into the fire? Though nature hath given us wit to flout at fortune, hath not fortune sent in this fool to cut off the argument? Mistress, you must come away to your father. Were you made the messenger? No, by mine honor, but I was bid to come for you. Where learned you that oath, fool? Of a certain knight that swore by his honor they were good pancakes, and swore by his honor the mustard was not. Now I'll stand to it. The pancakes were not, and the mustard was good, and yet was not the knight forsworn. How prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge? Ay, Mary, now unmuzzle your wisdom. Stand you both forth now, stroke your chins, and swear by your beards that I am a knave. By our beards, if we had them, thou art. By my knavery, if I had it, then I were. But if you swear by that that is not, you are not forsworn. No more was this knight swearing by his honor, for he never had any. Or if he had, he had sworn it away ever before ever he saw those pancakes or that mustard. Prithee, who is it that thou meanest? One that old Frederick, your father, loves. My father's love is enough to honor him. Enough. Speak no more of him. You'll be whipped for taxation one of these days. The more pity that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly. By my troth, thou sayest true. For since the little wit that fools have was silenced, the little foolery that wise men have makes great show. Here comes Monsieur Lebeau. With his mouth full of news. 
which you will put on us as pigeons feed their young. Then shall we be news crowned. All the better. We shall be the more marketable. Bonjour, Monsieur Lebeau. What's the news? Fair princess, you have lost much good sport. Sport? Of what color? What color? Madam, how shall I answer you? As wit and fortune will. Or as the destiny's decree. You amaze me, ladies. I would have told you of good wrestling, which you have lost the sight of. You tell us the manner of the wrestling. I will tell you the beginning, and if it please your ladyships, you may see the end, for the best is yet to do. And here, where you are, they are coming to perform it. There comes an old man and his three sons, three proper young men of excellent growth and presence. The eldest of the three wrestled with Charles, the duke's wrestler, which Charles in a moment threw him and broke three of his ribs that there is little hope of life in him. So he served the second, and so the third. Yonder they lie, the poor old man, their father, making such pitiful dole over them, that all the beholders take his part with weeping. Alas! But what is the sport, monsieur, that the ladies have lost? Why? This that I speak of. Thus men may grow wiser every day. It is the first time that ever I heard breaking of ribs was sport for ladies. But is there any else longs to see this broken music in his sides? Is there yet another dotes upon rib breaking? Shall we see this wrestling, cousin? You must, if you stay here, for here is the place appointed for the wrestling, and they are ready to perform it. Yonder, sure they are coming. Let us now stay and see it. Is yonder the man? Even he, madam. Alas, he is too young, yet he looks successfully. How now, daughter and cousin? Are you crept hither to see the wrestling? Ay, my liege, so please you give us leave. You will take little delight in it, I can tell you. There's such odds in the man. In pity of the challenger's youth, I would fain dissuade him, but he will not be entreated. Speak to him, lady, see if you can move him. Call him hither, good Monsieur Lebeau. Do so, I'll not be by. Monsieur the challenger, the princesses call for you. I attend them with all respect and duty. Young man, have you challenged Charles the wrestler? No, fair princess. He is the general challenger. I come but in, as others do, to try with him the strength of my youth. Young gentlemen, your spirits are too bold for your years. You have seen cruel proof of this man's strength. We pray you for your own sake to embrace your own safety and give over this attempt. Do, young sir. Your reputation shall not therefore be misprized. We will make it our suit to the duke that the wrestling might not go forward. I beseech you, punish me not with your hard thoughts, wherein I confess me much guilty to deny so fair and excellent ladies anything. But I shall do my friends no wrong, for I have none to lament me. The world no injury, for in it I have nothing. Only in the world I fill up a place, which may be better supplied when I have made it empty. The little strength that I have, I would it were with you. And mine to eke out hers. Where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth? Now Hercules be thy speed, young man. I would I were invisible to catch the strong fellow by the leg. Oh, excellent young man. If I had a thunderbolt in mine eye, I can tell who should down. 
No more. No more. Yes, I beseech your grace. I am not yet well breathed. How dost thou, Charles? Ye cannot speak, my lord. Bear him away. What is thy name, young man? Orlando, my liege, the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. I would thou hadst been son to some man else. The world esteemed thy father honorable, but I did find him still mine enemy. But fare thee well, thou art a gallant youth. I am more proud to be Sir Rollins than his youngest son. It would not change that calling to be adopted heir to Frederick. Gentle cousin, let us go thank him and encourage him. My father's rough and envious disposition sticks me at heart. Sir, you have well deserved. If you do keep your promises in love, but justly as you have exceeded all promise, your mistress shall be happy. Gentlemen, wear this for me. One out of suits with fortune that could give more, but that her hand lacks means. Shall we go, cuz? Aye. Fare you well, fair gentlemen. What passion hangs these weights upon my tongue? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. Oh, poor Orlando, thou art overthrown, or Charles, or something weaker, masters thee. Good sir, I do in friendship counsel you to leave this place. I thank you, sir. And pray you tell me this. Which of the two was daughter of the duke that here was at the wrestling? Neither his daughter, if we judge by manners. But yet indeed the lesser is his daughter, the other is daughter to a banished duke, and here detained by her usurping uncle. But I can tell you that of late this duke hath attained displeasure against his gentle niece, granted upon no other argument but that the people praise her for her virtues and pity her for her good father's sake. And on my life his malice against the lady will suddenly break forth. Sir, fare you well. Hereafter, in a better world than this, I shall desire more love than knowledge of you. Thus must I, from the smoke into the smother, from tyrant duke unto a tyrant brother? But heavenly Rosalind. Why, cousin, why, Rosalind, Cupid, have mercy, not a word? But is all this for your father? No. Some of it is for my child's father. Oh, how full of briars is this working-day world! They are but burrs, cousin, thrown upon thee in holiday foolery. I could shake them off my coat. These burrs are in my heart. Come, come, wrestle with thy affections. Oh, they take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Is it possible on such a sudden you should fall into so strong a liking with old Sir Roland's youngest son? The duke, my father, loved his father dearly. Doth it therefore ensue that you should love his son dearly? By this kind of chase I should hate him, for my father hated his father dearly. Yet I hate not Orlando. Let me love him for that. And do you love him because I do? Look, here comes the duke. With his eyes full of anger. Mistress, dispatch you with your safest haste and get you from our court. Me, uncle? You, cousin, within these ten days, if that thou beest found so near our public court as twenty miles, thou diest for it. 
I do beseech your grace. Let me the knowledge of my fault bear with me. Never so much as in a thought unborn did I offend your highness. <laughs> Thus do all traitors. If their purgation did consist in words, they are as innocent as grace itself. Let it suffice thee that I trust thee not. Yet your mistrust cannot make me a traitor. Tell me wherein the likelihood depends. Thou art thy father's daughter. There's enough. Treason is not inherited, my lord. Then, good my liege, mistake me not so much to think my poverty is treacherous. Dear sovereign, hear me speak. I, Celia, we stayed her for your sake, else had she with her father ranged along. I did not then entreat to have her stay. It was your pleasure and your own remorse. But now I know her. If she be a traitor, why, so am I. We still have slept together, rose at an instant, learned, played, ate together. She is too subtle for thee, and her smoothness, her very silence, and her patience speak to the people, and they pity her. Firm and irrevocable is the doom which I have passed upon her. She is banished. Eunice, provide yourself, if you outstay the time upon mine honor and in the greatness of my word, you die. Oh, my poor Rosalind, whither wilt thou go? I charge thee, be not thou more grieved than I am. I have more cause. Thou hast not, cousin. Prithee, be cheerful. Knowst thou not the duke hath banished me, his daughter? That he hath not. No, hath not. Rosalind lacks then the love which teacheth thee that thou and I am one. Shall we be sundered? Shall we part, sweet girl? No. Let my father seek another heir. Therefore devise with me how we may fly. For by this heaven, now at our sorrows pale, say what thou canst. I'll go along with thee. Why, whither shall we go? To seek my uncle in the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us, maids as we are, to travel forth so far? Beauty provoketh thieves sooner than gold. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire, and with a kind of umber smirch my face. The like do you. So shall we pass along and never stir assailants. Were it not better, because that I am more than common tall, that I did suit me all points like a man? <laughs> what shall I call thee when thou art a man? I'll have no worse a name than Jove's own page, and therefore, <clears throat> look you, call me Ganymede. <laughs> but what will you be called? Something that hath a reference to my state. No longer Celia... But Aliena. But, cousin, what if we essayed to steal the clownish fool out of your father's court? Would he not be a comfort to our travel? He'll go along or the wide world with me. Leave me alone to woo him. Let's away and get our jewels and our wealth together. Devise the fittest time and safest way to hide us from the pursuit that will be made after my flight. Now go we in content, to liberty and not to banishment. <laughs> Now, my co-mates and brothers in exile, hath not old custom made this life more sweet than that of painted pomp? Are not these woods more free from peril than that of the envious court? Here we feel but the penalty of Adam, the season's difference, as the icy fang and churlish chiding of the winter's wind, which, when it bites and blows upon my body, 
Even till I shrink with cold, I smile and say, this is no flattery. These are counselors that feelingly persuade me what I am. And this, our life exempt from public haunt, it finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. I would not change it. Happy is your grace that can translate the stubbornness of fortune into so quiet and so sweet a style. Come, shall we go and kill us venison? Can it be possible that no man saw them? It cannot be. Some villains of my court are of consent and sufferance in this. I cannot hear of any that did see her. The ladies, her tenants of her chamber, saw her abed, and in the morning early they found the bed untreasured of their mistress. My lord, the ruinous clown, at whom so oft your grace was wont to laugh, is also missing. Hesperia, the princess's gentlewoman, confesses that she secretly overheard your daughter and her cousin much commend the parts and graces of the wrestler that did but lately foil the sinewy Charles, and she believes wherever they are gone, that youth is surly in their company. Send to his brother. Fetch that gallant hither. If he be absent, bring his brother to me. I'll make him find him. Do this suddenly, and let not search and inquisition quail to bring again these foolish runaways. Who's there? What? My young master? Oh, my gentle master. Oh, my sweet master. Oh, you memory of old Sir Rollins! Why? What make you here? Why are you virtuous? Why do people love you? And wherefore are you gentle, strong, and valiant? Your virtues, gentle master, are sanctified and holy traitors to you. Oh, what a world is this, when what is comely envenoms him that bears it! Why? What's the matter? Oh, unhappy youth, come not within these doors. Within this roof, the enemy of all your graces lives. Your brother hath heard your praises, and this night he means to burn the lodging where you used to lie, and you within it. If he fail of that, he will have other means to cut you off. Now you overheard him and his practices. This is no place. This house is but a butchery. Abhor it. Fear it. Do not enter it. Why whither, Adam? Wouldst thou have me go? No matter whither, so you come not here. What? Wouldst thou have me go and beg my food? Or with a base and boisterous sword enforce a thievish living on the common road? I rather will subject me to the malice of a diverted blood and bloody brother. But do not so. I have five hundred crowns. The thrifty hire I saved under your father, which I did store to be my foster nurse, be comfort to my age. Here is the gold, and all this I give you. Let me be your servant. Though I look old, yet I am strong and lusty, for in my youth I never did apply hot and rebellious liquors in my blood, nor did with unbashful forehead woo the means of weakness and debility. Therefore, my age is as a lusty winter, frosty, but kindly. Let me go with you. I'll do the service of a younger man in all your businesses and necessities. 
Oh, good old man! How well in thee appears the constant service of the antique world, when service sweat for duty, not for meed. But come thy ways, we'll go along together, and ere we have thy youthful wages spent, we'll light upon some settled low content. Master, go on, and I will follow thee through the last gasp with truth and loyalty. Jupiter, how weary are my spirits. I care not for my spirits if my legs were not weary. I pray you, bear with me. I cannot go no further. For my part, I had rather bear with you than bear you, yet I should bear no cross if I did bear you, for I think you have no money in your purse. Well, this is the forest of Arden. I now am I in Arden, the more fool I. When I was at home, I was in a better place, but travelers must be content. I be so, good touchstone. Look you, who comes here? A young man and an old and solemn talk. That is the way to make her scorn you still. Oh, Corin, that thou knewst how I do love her. I partly guess, for I have loved ere now. No, Corin, being old, thou canst not guess. Though in thy youth thou wast as true a lover as ever sighed upon a midnight pillow, but if thy love were ever like to mine, as sure I think did never man love so, how many actions most ridiculous hast thou been drawn to by thy fantasy? Into a thousand that I have forgotten. Oh, thou didst then ne'er love so heartily. Thou remembers not the slightest folly that ever love did make thee run into, thou hast not loved. Or if thou hast not sat as I do now, wearing thy hair and thy mistress's praise, thou hast not loved. Or if thou hast not broke from company abruptly, as my passion now makes me, thou hast not loved. Oh, Phoebe, Phoebe, Phoebe. <laughs> Jove, Jove. This shepherd's passion is much upon my fashion. And mine, but it grows something stale with me. I pray you, one of you question yond man, if he for gold would give us any food. I faint almost to death. <clears throat> Holla, you clown! Peace, fool. He's not thy kinsman. Who calls? Your betters, sir. Else are they very wretched. Peace, I say. <clears throat> Good even to you, friend. And to you, gentle sir, and to you all. I prithee, shepherd, if that love or gold can in this desert place buy entertainment, bring us where we may rest ourselves and feed. Here's a young maid with travel much oppressed and faints for succor. Fair sir, I pity her, and wish for her sake more than for mine own, my fortunes were more able to relieve her. But I am shepherd to another man, and do not shear the fleeces that I graze. By reason of his absence, there is nothing that you will feed on. But what is, come see, and in my voice most welcome shall you be. What is he that shall buy his flock and pasture? That young swain that you saw here, but erewhile, that little cares for buying anything. I pray thee, if it stand with honesty... Buy thou the cottage, pasture, and the flock, and thou shalt have to pay for it of us. And we will mend thy wages. I like this place, and willingly could waste my time in it. 
Assuredly, the thing is to be sold. Go with me. If you like upon report the soil, the profit, and this kind of life, I will your very faithful feeder be and buy it with your gold right suddenly. Under the greenwood tree who loves to lie with me and turn his merry note unto the sweet bird's throat. Come hither, come hither, come hither. Here shall he see no enemy but winter and rough weather. More, more, I prithee, more! It will make you melancholy, Monsieur Jacques. I thank it. More, I prithee, more. I can suck melancholy out of a song as a weasel sucks eggs. More, I prithee, more. <clears throat> My voice is ragged. I know I cannot please you. I do not desire you to please me. I do desire you to sing. Come, more! Another stanzo. Call you M. Stanzos? Will you sing? More at your request than to please myself. Well then, if I ever thank any man, I'll thank you. Come, sing, and you that will not, hold your tongues. Well, I'll end the song. Sirs, cover the while. The duke will drink under this tree. He hath been all this day to look you. And I have been all this day to avoid him. He is too disputable for my company. I think of as many matters as he, but I give heaven thanks and make no boast of them. Come, warble, come. Who doth ambition shun and loves to live in the sun, seeking the food he eats and pleased with what he gets. Come, come hither, come hither, come hither. Here shall he see no enemy but winter and rough weather. I'll give you a verse to this note that I made yesterday, in despite of my invention. Ooh, and I'll sing it! Thus it goes. If it do come to pass that any man turn ass, leaving his wealth and ease, a stubborn will to please, duck dame, duck dame, duck dame. Here shall he see, gross fools as he, and if he will come to me. What's that duck dame? Tis a Greek invocation. To call fools into a circle. I'll go sleep if I can. If I cannot... I'll rail against all the firstborn of Egypt. And I'll go seek the duke. His banquet is prepared. Dear master, I can go no further. <laughs> oh, I die for food. Here lie I down and measure out my grave. Farewell. Kind master. Why, how now, Adam? No greater heart in thee? Live a little, comfort a little, cheer thyself a little. I will here be with thee presently. And if I bring thee not something to eat, I will give thee leave to die. But if thou diest before I come, <laughs> thou art a mocker of my labor. <laughs> well said, thou lookest cheerly, and I'll be with thee quickly. Cheerly, good Adam. I think he'd be transformed into a beast, for I can nowhere find him like a man. My lord, he is but even now gone hence. Here was he merry, hearing of a song? If he, compact of jars, grow musical, we shall surely have discord in the spheres. Go, seek him. Tell him I would speak with him. 
He saves my labor by his own approach. Why, how now, monsieur? What a life is this that your poor friends must woo your company? What, you look merrily. A fool! A fool! I met a fool in the forest, a motley fool, a miserable world. Good morrow, fool, quoth I. No, sir, quoth he, call me not fool till heaven hath sent me fortune. What fool is this? A worthy fool. One hath been a courtier and says if ladies be but young and fair, they have the gift to know it. And in his brain, which is as dry as the remainder biscuit after a voyage, he hath strange places crammed with observation, the which he vents in mangled forms. Oh, that I were a fool! I am ambitious for a motley coat. Thou shalt have one. It is my only suit, provided that you weed your better judgments of all opinion that goes rank in them, that I am wise. I must have liberty withal, as large a charter as the wind to blow on whom I please. For so fools have. Invest me in my motley. Give me leave to speak my mind, and I will through and through cleanse the foul body of the infected world, if they will patiently receive my medicine. But who comes here? Forbear and eat no more! Why? I have eaten none yet. Nor shalt not till necessity be served. Are thou thus emboldened, man, by thy distress, or else some rude despiser of good manners that in civility thou seemst so empty? He dies! that touches any of this fruit till I and my affairs are answered. And you will not be answered with reason. I must die. What, what would you have? Your gentleness shall force more than your force move us to gentleness. I almost die for food and let me have it. Sit down and feed and welcome to our table. Speak you so gently. Pardon me, I pray you. I thought that all things had been savage here and therefore put I on the countenance of stern commandment. But... Whate'er you are, if ever you've looked on better days, and know what tis to pity and be pitied, let gentleness my strong enforcement be, in which hope I, I blush and hide my sword. True is it, we have seen better days, and therefore you sit down in gentleness and take upon command what help we have that to your wanting may be ministered. But forbear your food a little while, well, like a doe, I go find my fawn and give it food. There is an old, poor man who after me hath many a weary step limped in pure love, till he be first sufficed, oppressed with two weak evils, age and hunger. I will not touch a bit. Go find him out. We will nothing waste till you return. I thank ye, and be blessed for your good comfort. Thou seest we are not all alone unhappy. This wide and universal theater presents more woeful pageants than the scene wherein we play in. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. At first the infant, mewling and puking in the nurse's arms, and then the whining schoolboy with his satchel and shining morning face, creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover, sighing like furnace, with a woeful ballad made to his mistress's eyebrow. Then a soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice, in fair round belly, with good cape and lined, with eye severe and beard of formal cut full of wise saws in modern instances. And so he plays his part. The sixth ace shifts into lean and slippered pantaloon, with spectacles on nose and patch on side. 
his youthful hose well saved, a world too wide for a shrunk shank, and his big manly voice turning again towards childish trouble, pipes and whistles in the sound. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Sans teeth, sans eyes, sans taste, sans everything. Welcome. Sit down your venerable burthen and let him feed. I thank you most for him. So had you need. I, I scarce can speak to thank you for myself. Welcome. Fall to. I will not trouble you as yet to question you about your fortunes. Give us some music, and good cousin, sing. Blow, blow thou winter wind, thou art not so unkind as man's ingratitude. Thy tooth is not so keen, because thou art not seen, although thy breath be Loving we folly then hey ho the holly This life is most jolly Freeze, freeze thou bitter sky that does not fight so nigh as benefits for God Though thou the water's warp thy sting is not so sharp as friend remembered not If that you were the good Sir Roland's son, be truly welcome hither. I am the duke that loved your father, the residue of your fortune. Go to my cave and tell me. Good old man, thou art right as welcome as thy master is. Support him by the arm. Give me your hand and let me all your fortunes understand. Sir, that cannot be. Find out thy brother wheresoe'er he is. Seek him with candle. Bring him dead or living within this twelve-month, or turn thou no more to seek a living in our territory. Thy lands and all things that thou dost call thine were seizure do we seize into our hands, till thou canst quit thee by thy brother's mouth of what we think against thee. Oh, that your highness knew my heart in this. I never loved my brother in my life. More villain thou. Well, push him out of doors. Do this expediently and turn him going. Hang there, my verse, in witness of my love. Oh, Rosalind, these trees shall be my books, and in their barks my thoughts all character, that every eye in which this forest looks shall see thy virtue witnessed everywhere. Run, run, Orlando, carve on every tree, the fair, the chaste, and unexpressive she. And how like you this shepherd's life, Master Touchstone? Truly, shepherd, in respect of itself, it is a good life. But in respect that it is a shepherd's life, it is not. In respect that it is solitary, I like it very well. But in respect that it is private, it is a very vile life. Now... In respect that it is in the fields, it pleaseth me well. But in respect that it is not in the court, it is tedious. Hast any philosophy in thee, shepherd? No more but that I know that the more one sickens, the worse and easy is. And that he that wants money, means, and content is without three good friends. That the property of rain is to wet and fire to burn. 
that good pasture makes fat sheep, and that a great cause of the night is lack of the sun, that he that hath learned no wit by nature nor art may complain of good breeding or comes of a very dull kindred. Such a one as a natural philosopher was ever in court, shepherd? No, truly. Then thou art damned. For not being at court, your reason. Why, if thou never wast at court, thou never sawst good manners. If thou never sawst good manners, then thy manners must be wicked, and wickedness is a sin, and sin is damnation. Thou art in a parlous state, shepherd. Not a whit, Touchstone. Those are that are good manners at the court, or as ridiculous in the country as the behavior of the country is most mockable at the court. You told me that you salute not at the court, but you kiss your hands. That courtesy would be uncleanly if courtiers were shepherds. Instance, briefly, come. Instance. Why, we are still handling our ewes, and their fells, you know, are greasy. Besides, our hands are hard. Your lips will feel them the sooner. Shallow again. A more sounder instance. Come. And they are often tarred over with the surgery of our sheep. And would you have us kiss tar? The courtier's hands are perfumed with civet. Most shallow man, thou worms meet in respect of a good piece of flesh indeed. You have too courtly a wit for me. I'll rest. Wilt thou rest, damned? God help thee, shallow man. Sir, I am a true laborer. I earn that I eat, get that I wear. Owe no man hate, envy no man's happiness. Glad of other men's good, content with my harm. And the greatest of my pride is to see my ewes graze and my lambs suck. Oh, here comes young Master Ganymede, my new mistress's brother. From the east to western end, no jewel is like Rosalind. Her worth being mounted on the wind through all the world bears Rosalind. All the pictures fairest lined are but foul to Rosalind. Let no fair be kept in mind but the fair of Rosalind. <laughs> I'll rhyme you so eight years together, dinners and suppers and sleeping hours accepted. <laughs> it is the right butterwoman's rake to market. Out, fool. For a taste. If a heart do lack a hind, let him seek out Rosalind. If the cat will after kind, so be sure will Rosalind. Sweetest nut hath sourest rind, such a nut is Rosalind. He that sweetest rose will find must find love's prick and Rosalind. This is the very false gallop of verses. Why do you infect yourself with them? Peace, you dull fool. I found them on a tree. Truly the tree yields bad fruit. You'll be run ere you be half ripe, and that's the right virtue of the meddler. You have said, but whether wisely or no, let the forest judge. Peace. Here comes my sister, reading. Stand aside. But upon the fairest boughs, or at every sentence end, will I Rosalinda write? Nature presently distilled, Helen's cheek, but not her heart, Cleopatra's majesty, Atalanta's better part, sad Lucretia's modesty. Thus Rosalind, of many parts, by heavenly synod was devised, of many faces, eyes, and hearts, to have the touches dearest prized. Oh, most gentle pulpiter, 
What tedious homily of love have you wearied your parishioners withal, and never cried? Have patience, good people. How now? Back, friends. Shepherd, go off a little. Go with him, Sirrah. Come, shepherd, let us make an honorable retreat, though not with bag and baggage, yet with scrip and scrippage. Didst thou hear these verses? Oh, yes, I heard them all, and more, too, for some of them had in them more feet than the verses would bear. That's no matter. The feet might bear the verses. Aye, but the feet were lame and could not bear themselves without the verse, and therefore stood lamely in the verse. But didst thou hear without wondering how thy name should be hanged and carved upon these trees? Trow you who hath done this? Is it a man? And a chain that you once wore about his neck? Change you color. I prithee who? Oh, Lord, Lord. Nay, but who is it? Is it possible? Nay, I prithee now with most petitionary vehemence, tell me who it is. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, and most wonderful, wonderful, and yet again wonderful, and after that all out of hooping. I prithee, tell me who it is, quickly, and speak apace. I prithee, take the cork out of thy mouth that may drink thy tidings. So you may put a man in your belly. Is he of God's making? What manner of man? Is his head worth a hat, or his chin worth a beard? Is young Orlando, that tripped up the wrestler's heels in your heart both in an instant? Nay, but the devil take mocking. Speak, sad brow and true maid. If faith, cuz, tis he. Orlando? Orlando. Alas the day! What shall I do with my doublet and hose? What did he when thou sawest him? What said he? How looked he? Where and went he? What makes him here? Did he ask for me? Answer me in one word. You must borrow me gargantua's mouth first. Tis a word too great for any mouth of this age's size. But doth he know that I am in this forest and in man's apparel? Looks he as freshly as he did the day he wrestled. I found him under a tree like a dropped acorn. It may well be called Jove's tree when it drops forth such fruit. Give me audience, good madam. Proceed. There lay he, stretched along like a wounded knight. He was furnished like a hunter. Oh, ominous, he comes to kill my heart. I would sing my song without a burden. Thou bringst me out of tune. When I think I must speak, sweet, say on. You bring me out. Soft, comes he not here? Tis he. Slink by and note him. I pray you, mar no more trees of writing love songs in their barks. I pray you. Mar no more of my verses with reading them ill-favoredly. Rosalind is your love's name? Yes, just. I do not like her name. There was no thought of pleasing you when she was christened. What stature is she of? Just as <laughs> high as my heart. You have a nimble wit. Will you sit down with me? And we too will rail against our mistress, the world, and all our misery. I will try no breather in the world but myself, against whom I know most faults. The worst fault you have is to be in love. <laughs> Tis a fault I will not change for your best virtue. I am weary of you. By my troth, I was seeking for a fool when I found you. Oh, he is drowned in the brook. Look but in, and you shall see him. There I shall see mine own figure. <laughs> Which I take to be either a fool or a cipher. I'll tarry no longer with you. Farewell, good signor love. I'm glad of your departure. Adieu, good Monsieur Melancholy. 
I will speak to him like a saucy lackey and under that habit play the knave with him. <clears throat> Do you hear, Forrester? Very well. What would you? Where dwell you, pretty youth? With the shepherdess, my sister. Here in the skirts of the forest, like fringe upon a petticoat. Are you native of this place? As the coney that you see dwell where she is kindled. Your accent is something finer than you could purchase in such a removed dwelling. I have been told so of many. But, indeed, an old religious uncle of mine taught me to speak, who was in his youth an inland man, one that knew courtship too well, for there he fell in love. I have heard him read many lectures against it. There is a man haunts the forest that abuses our young plants with carving Rosalind on their barks, hangs odes upon hawthorns and elegies on brambles, all forsooth deifying the name of Rosalind. If I could meet that fancy-monger, I would give him some good counsel, for he seems to have the quotidian of love upon him. I am he that is so love-shaped. I pray you, tell me your remedy. There is none of my uncle's marks upon you. He taught me how to know a man in love, in which cage of rushes I am sure you are not prisoner. What were his marks? A lean cheek, which you have not. An unquestionable spirit, which you have not. A beard neglected, which you have not. Then your hose should be ungartered, your bonnet unbanded, your sleeve unbuttoned, your shoe untied, and everything about you demonstrating a careless desolation. That you are no such man. Fair youth, I would I could make thee believe I love. <laughs> Me believe it? You may as soon make her that you love believe it. But in good sooth, are you he that hangs the verses on the trees wherein Rosalind is so admired? I swear to thee, youth, by the white hand of Rosalind, I am that he, that unfortunate he. Love is merely a madness, and I tell you, deserves as well a dark house and a whip as madmen do. And the reason why they are not so punished and cured is... But the lunacy is so ordinary that the whippers are in love, too. Yet I profess curing it by counsel. Did, did you ever cure any so? Yes, one, and in this manner. He was to imagine me his love, his mistress, and I set him every day to woo me. At which time I would, being but a moonish youth, grieve, be effeminate changeable, longing and liking, proud, fantastical, apish, shallow, inconstant, full of tears, full of smiles, for every passion something, and for no passion truly anything, as boys and women are, for the most part, cattle of this color, would now like him, now loathe him, then entertain him, then forswear him, now weep for him, then spit at him, that I drave my suitor from his mad humor of love to a living humor of madness, which was to forswear the full stream of the world and to live in a nook merely monastic. And thus I cured him. I would cure you, if you would but call me Rosalind and come every day to my coat and woo me. Now by the faith of my love I will. Tell me where it is. Go with me to it, and I'll show it you. And by the way, you shall tell me where in the forest you live. Will you go? 
With all my heart, good youth. Nay, you must call me Rosalind. Come, sister, will you go? Come apace, good Audrey. I will fetch up your goats, Audrey. And how, Audrey? Am I the man yet? Doth my simple feature content you? Your features? <laughs> Lord warned us. What features? I am here with thee and thy goats, as the most capricious poet honest Ovid was among the Goths. When a man's verses cannot be understood, nor a man's good wit seconded with a forward child understanding, it strikes a man more dead than a great reckoning in little room. <sighs> Truly, I would the gods had made thee poetical. Uh, I do not know what poetical is. Is it honest in deed and word? Is it a true thing? No, truly, for the truest poetry is the most feigning, and lovers are given to poetry, and what they swear in poetry may be said, as lovers they do feign. Do you wish, then, that the gods had made me poetical? I do, truly, for thou swearest to me thou art honest. Now, if thou wert a poet, I might have some hope thou didst feign. Would you not have me honest? No, truly, unless thou wert hard-favored, for honesty coupled to beauty is to have honey a sauce to sugar. Well, I am not fair, and therefore I pray the gods make me honest. Truly, and to cast away honesty upon a foul slut were to put good meat into an unclean dish. I am not a slut. Though I thank the gods, I am foul. Well, praised be the gods for thy foulness. But be it as it may be, I will marry thee. And to that end, I have been with Sir Oliver Martext, the vicar of the next village, who hath promised to meet me in this place of the forest and to couple us. Ooh, well, the gods give us joy. Amen. As a walled town is more worthier than a village, so is the forehead of a married man more honorable than the bare brow of a bachelor. Here comes Sir Oliver. Sir Oliver Martext, you are well met. Will you dispatch us here under this tree, or shall we go with you to your uh, chapel? Is there none here to give the woman? I will not take her on gift of any man. Truly she must be given, or the marriage is not lawful. Proceed, proceed. I'll give her. Good even, good master. What you call it? How do you, sir? Will you be married, Molly? As the ox hath his bow, sir, the horse his curb, and the falcon her bells, so man hath his desires, and his pigeon's bills, so wedlock would be nibbling. And will you, being a man of your breeding, be married under a bush like a beggar? Get you to church, and have a good priest that can tell you at marriages. This fellow will but join you together as they join Wainscot. Then one of you will prove a shrunk panel and like green timber. Warp, warp. I am not in the mind, but I were better to be married of him than of another, for he is not like to marry me well. And not being well married, it will be a good excuse for me hereafter to leave my wife. Go thou with me, and let me counsel thee. Come, sweet Audrey, we must be married, or we must live in... Baudry? Farewell, good master Oliver. Not 
Oh, sweet Oliver, oh, brave Oliver, leave me not behind thee, but wind away, be gone, I say, I will not a wedding with thee. Tis no matter. Never a fantastical knave of them all shall flout me out of my calling. Never talk to me. I will weep. In faith, his hair is of a good color. An excellent color. Your chestnut was ever the only color. But why did he swear he would come this morning and comes not? Nay, certainly there is no truth in him. Do you think so? Yes, for his verity and love, I do think him as concave as a covered goblet or a worm-eaten nut. Not true in love? Yes, when he is in, but... I think he is not in. You have heard him swear downright he was. Was is not is. Besides, the oath of a lover is no stronger than the word of a tapster. They are both the confirmer of false reckonings. Who comes here? Mistress and master, you have often inquired after the shepherd that complained of love, who you saw sitting by me on the turf, praising the proud, disdainful shepherdess that was his mistress. Well, and what of him? If you will see a pageant truly played between the pale complexion of true love and the red glow of scorn and proud disdain, go hence a little and I shall conduct you, if you will mark it. Oh, come, let us remove. The sight of lovers feedeth those in love. Bring us to the sight and you shall say I'll prove a busy actor in their play. Sweet Phoebe, do not scorn me, do not, Phoebe. Say that you love me not, but say not so in bitterness. The common executioner, whose heart the accustomed sight of death makes hard, falls not the axe upon the humbled neck, but first begs pardon. Will you sterner be than he that dies and lives by bloody drops? I would not be thy executioner. I fly thee, for I would not injure thee. Thou tells me there is murder in mine eye? Now I do frown on thee with all my heart, and if mine eyes can wound, now let them kill thee. Now counterfeit to swoon, why now fall down? Or if thou canst not, oh, for shame, for shame, why not to say mine eyes are murderers? Oh, dear Phoebe, if ever, as that ever may be near, you meet in some fresh cheek the power of fancy, then shall you know the wounds invisible that love's keen arrows make. But till that time, come not thou near me. When that time comes, afflict me with thy mocks. Pity me not, as till that time I shall not pity thee. <laughs> and why, I pray you? Who might be your mother that you insult, exalt, and all at once over the wretched? What, though you have no beauty, as by my fate I see no more in you than without candle may go dark to bed, must you therefore be proud and pitiless? Why, what means this? Why do you look on me? I see no more in you than in the ordinary of nature's sail work. <laughs> Odds my little life, I think she means to tangle my eyes too. No. Faith, proud mistress, hope not after it. Tis not your inky brows, your foul silk hair, your bugle eyeballs, nor your cheek of cream that can entame my spirits to your worship. 
You foolish shepherd, wherefore do you follow her? You are a thousand times a properer man than she a woman. Tis such fools as you that makes the world full of ill-favored children. Tis not her glass, but you that flatters her. And out of you she sees herself more proper than any of her lineaments can show her. But mistress, know yourself. Down on your knees and thank heaven, fasting for a good man's love. For I must tell you, friendly in your ear, sell when you can. You are not for all markets. Cry the man mercy, take his offer. Foul is most foul, being foul to be a scoffer. So take her to thee, shepherd. Fare you well. Sweet youth, I pray you, chide a year together. I had rather hear you chide than this man woo. He's fallen in love with your foulness, and she'll fall in love with my anger. Oh, if it be so, as fast as she answers thee with frowning looks, I'll sauce her with bitter words. Why look you so upon me? For no ill will I bear you. I pray you, do not fall in love with me, for I am falser than vows made in wine. Besides, I like you not. Will you go, sister? Shepherd, ply her hard. Come, sister, a shepherdess, look on him better, and be not proud. Though all the world could see, none could be so abused in sight as he. Come to our flock. Dear shepherd, now I find thy saw of might. Who ever loved that loved not at first sight? Sweet Phoebe. <laughs> what sayest thou, Silvius? Sweet Phoebe, pity me. Why, I am sorry for thee, gentle Silvius. Wherever sorrow is, relief would be. If you do sorrow at my grief and love, by giving love your sorrow and my grief, we're both exterminated. Thou hast my love, is not that neighborly? I would have you. Why, that were covetousness. Silvius, the time was that I hated thee, and yet it is not that I bear thee love, but since that thou canst talk of love so well, thy company, which erst was irksome to me, I will endure, and I'll employ thee too. But do not look for further recompense than thine own gladness that thou art employed. So holy and so perfect is my love, and I in such a poverty of grace that I shall think it a most plenteous crop to glean the broken ears after the man that the main harvest reaps. Loose now and then a scattered smile that I'll live upon. Knows now the youth that spoke to me erewhile? Not very well, but I have met him oft, and he hath bought the cottage and the bounds that the old carlet once was master of. Think not I love him, though I ask for him. Tis but a peevish boy. Yet he talks well. But what care I for words? Yet words do well when he that speaks them pleases those that hear. It is a pretty youth. Not very pretty, but sure he's proud. And yet his pride becomes him. He'll make a proper man. The best thing in him is his complexion. And faster than his tongue did make offense, his eye did heal it up. He's not very tall, yet for his years he's tall. His leg is but so-so, and yet tis well. There was a pretty redness in his lip, a little riper and more lusty red than that mixed in his cheek. <laughs> T'was just the difference between the constant red and the mingled damask. There be some women, Silvius, had they marked him in parcels as I did, would have gone near to fall in love with him. 
But for my part, I love him not. Nor hate him not. And yet, I have more cause to hate him than to love him. For what had he to do to chide at me? He said mine eyes were foul and my hair foul, and now I am remembered scorned at me. I marvel why I answered not again. But that's all one. Amittance is no quittance. I'll write to him a very taunting letter, and thou shalt bear it. Wilt thou, Silvius? Phoebe, with all my heart. I'll write it straight. The matter's in my head and in my heart. I will be bitter with him and passing short. Go with me, Silvius. Good day and happiness, dear Rosalind. Oh, why, how now, Orlando? Where have you been all this while? You, a lover, and you serve me such another trick, never come in my sight more. My fair Rosalind, I come within an hour of my promise. Break an hour's promise in love. Nay, and you be so tardy, come no more in my sight. I had as lief be wooed of a snail. Of a snail? I of a snail, for though he comes slowly, he carries his house on his head. A better jointure, I think, than you make a woman. Come, woo me, woo me, for now I am in a holiday humor and like enough to consent. What would you say to me now, an I were your very, very Rosalind? I would kiss before I spoke. <laughs> Nay, you were better speak first, and when you were graveled for lack of matter, you might take occasion to kiss. Very good orators, when they are out, they will spit, and for lovers lacking, God warn us, matter, the cleanliest shift is to kiss. How, how if the kiss be denied? Then she puts you to entreaty, and there begins new matter. Am I not your Rosalind? I take some joy to say you are, because I would be talking of her. Well, in her person, I say I will not have you. Then in mine own person, I die. <laughs> no faith. Die by attorney. The poor world is almost six thousand years old, and in all this time there was not any man died in his own person, videlicit in a love cause. Men have died from time to time, and worms have eaten them, but not for love. I would not have my right Rosalind of this mind, for I protest her frown might kill me. By this hand it will not kill a fly. But come... Now I will be your Rosalind in a more coming-on disposition, and ask me what you will. I will grant it. Then love me, Rosalind. Yes, faith will I, Fridays and Saturdays and all. And wilt thou have me? I and twenty such. Wait, what sayest thou? Are you not good? I hope so. Why then? Can one desire too much of a good thing? Come, sister, uh, you shall be the priest and marry us. Give me your hand, Orlando. What do you say, sister? Pray thee, marry us. Will you, Orlando, have to wife this Rosalind? I will. Aye, but when? Why now? As fast as she can marry us. Then you must say, I take thee, Rosalind, for wife. I take thee, Rosalind, for wife. I might ask you for your commission, but I do take thee, Orlando, for my husband. Now tell me, how long you would have her after you have possessed her? Forever and a day. 
Say a day without the ever. No, no, Orlando. Men are April when they woo, December when they wed. Maids are May when they are maids, but the sky changes when they are wives. I will be more jealous of thee than a Barbary cockpigeon over his hen, more clamorous than a parrot against rain, more newfangled than an ape, more giddy in my desires than a monkey. I will weep for nothing like Diana in the fountain, and I will do that when you are disposed to be merry. I will laugh like a hyena, and that when thou art inclined to sleep. But will my Rosalind do so? By my life she will do as I do. Oh, but she is wise. Or else she could not have the wit to do this. <laughs> a man that had a wife with such a wit, he might say, wit wither wilt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for these two hours, Rosalind, I... I will leave thee. Alas, dear love, I cannot lack thee two hours. I must attend the duke at dinner. By two o'clock, I will be with thee again. I go your ways, go your ways. Two o'clock is your hour. Aye, sweet Rosalind. Well, time is the old justice that examines all such offenders. And let time try. Adieu. You have simply misused our sex in your love, prate. We must have your doublet and hose plucked over your head and show the world what the bird hath done to her own nest. Oh, cuz, 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 my pretty little cuz, that thou didst know how many fathom deep I am in love. But it cannot be sounded. My affection hath an unknown bottom like the Bay of Portugal. Or rather, bottomless, that as fast as you pour affection in, it runs out. <sighs> I'll tell thee, Aliana, I cannot be out of the sight of Orlando. I'll go find a shadow and sigh till he come. And I'll sleep. How say you now? Is it not past two o'clock? And here much Orlando. I warrant you with pure love and troubled brain, he hath taken his bow and arrows and is gone forth to sleep. Look, who comes here? My errand is to you, fair youth. My gentle Phoebe bid me give you this. I know not the contents, but as I guess by the stern brow and waspish action which she did use as she was writing of it, it bears an angry tenor, pardon me, I am but as a guiltless messenger. She says I am not fair, that I lack manners. She calls me proud, and that she could not love me were man as rare as phoenix. Odds my will. Her love is not the hare that I do hunt. Why writes she so to me? Well, Shepherd, well, this is a letter of your own device. No, I protest I know not the contents. Phoebe did write it. Come, come, you are a fool and turned into the extremity of love. I say she never did invent this letter. This is a man's invention and his hand. Sure it is hers. Why, it is a boisterous and a cruel style. Will you hear the letter? So please you, for I never heard it yet. Yet heard too much of Phoebe's cruelty. <sighs> she Phoebe's me. Mark how the tyrant writes. <clears throat> Art thou God to shepherd turned, that a maiden's heart hath burned? Can a woman rail thus? Call you this railing? Why, thy Godhead laid apart, warst thou with a woman's heart? Did you ever hear such railing? Whiles the eye of man did woo me, that could do no vengeance to me, <laughs> meeting me a beast. If the scorn of your bright eye have power to raise such love in mine, Whiles you chid me, I did love. 
whether that thy youth and kind will the faithful offer take of me and all that I can make, or else by him my love deny, and then I'll study how to die. Call you this chiding? Alas, poor shepherd. Do you pity him? No, he deserves no pity. Wilt thou love such a woman? What, to make thee an instrument and play false strains upon thee? Not to be endured. Well, go your way to her, for I see love hath made thee a tame snake, and say this to her, that if she love me, I charge her to love thee. If she will not, I will never have her, unless thou entreat for her. If you be a true lover, hence, and not a word, for here comes more company. Good morrow, fair ones. Pray you, if you know, where in the purliest of this forest stands a sheepcote fenced about with olive trees? West of this place, down in the neighbor bottom. But at this hour the house doth keep itself, there's none within. If that an eye may profit by a tongue, then should I know you by description. Are not you the owner of the house I did inquire for? It is no boast being asked to say we are. Orlando doth commend him to you both. And to that youth he calls his Rosalind, he sends this bloody napkin. Are you he? I am. What must we understand by this? Some of my shame. If you will know of me what man I am, and how, and why, and where this handkerchief was stained. I pray you tell it. When last the young Orlando parted from you, he left a promise to return again within an hour, and, pacing through the forest, chewing the food of sweet and bitter fancy, lo, what befell! He threw his eye aside, a wretched, ragged man, overgrown with hair, lay sleeping on his back, about his neck a green and gilded snake had wreathed itself. Seeing Orlando, it unlinked itself, and with indented glides did slip away into a bush, under which bushes shade a lioness, with udders all drawn dry, lay crouching, head on ground, with cat-like watch, when that the sleeping man should stir, for tis the royal disposition of that beast to prey on nothing that doth seem as dead, this scene Orlando did approach the man, and found it was his brother, his elder brother. Oh, I have heard him speak of that same brother, and he did render him the most unnatural that lived amongst men. And well, he might so do. For well, I know he was unnatural. But to Orlando, did he leave him there? Food to the sucked and hungry lioness? Twice did he turn his back and purpose so. But kindness, nobler ever than revenge, and nature stronger than his justication, made him give battle to the lioness, who quickly fell before him, in which hurtling from miserable slumber, I awaked. Are you his brother? Was it you he rescued? Was it you that did so oft contrive to kill him? Was I... Uh, but tis not I. I do not shame to tell you what I was, since my conversion so sweetly tastes, being the thing I am. But for the bloody napkin. By and by, when from the first to last betwixt us two, tears are accountments and most kindly bathed as how I came into that desert place. In brief, he led me to the gentle duke, who gave me fresh array and entertainment, committing me unto my brother's love, who led me instantly unto his cave, there stripped himself, and here upon his arm the lioness had torn some flesh away, which all this while had bled, and now he fainted and cried and fainting upon Rosalind! Brief, I recovered him, bound up his wound, and after some small space, being strong at heart, he sent me hither. Stranger as I am, to tell this story, that you might excuse his broken promise, and to give this napkin dyed in his blood unto the shepherd youth, that he 
In sport, doth call his Rosalind. Why, how now, Ganymede? Sweet Ganymede! Many will swoon when they do look on blood. There is more in it. Cousin Ganymede! Look, he recovers. I would I were at home. We'll lead you thither. I pray you, will you take him by the arm? Be of good cheer, youth. You a man. You lack a man's heart. I do so, I confess it. Ah, sirrah, a body would think this was well counterfeited. I I pray you, tell your brother how well I counterfeited. Hi-ho! This was not counterfeit. There is too great testimony in your complexion that it was a passion of earnest. Counterfeit, I I assure you. Well then, take a good heart and counterfeit to be a man. So I do, but in faith I should have been a woman by right. Come, you look paler and paler. Pray you, draw homewards. Good sir, go with us. That will I. For I must bear answer back how you excuse my brother, Rosalind. I shall devise something, but I pray you, commend my counterfeiting to him. (laughs) Will you go? We shall find a time, Audrey. Patience, gentle Audrey. Faith, the priest was good enough. For all the old gentleman saying. A most wicked Sir Oliver Audrey, a most vile martext. But, Audrey, there is a youth here in the forest lays claim to you. I? I know who tis. He hath no interest in me in the world. Our master and mistress seeks you. Come away, away. Trip, Audrey, trip, Audrey. I attend, I attend. Is it possible that on so little acquaintance you should like her? That but seeing you should love her, and loving woo, and wooing she should grant? And will you persevere to enjoy her? Neither call the giddiness of it in question the poverty of her, the small acquaintance, my sudden wooing, nor her sudden consenting, but say with me, I love Aliana. Say with her that she loves me. Consent with both that we may enjoy each other. It shall be to your good for my father's house and all the revenue that was old Sir Roland's will I estate upon you, and here live and die a shepherd. You have my consent. Let your wedding be tomorrow. Thither will I invite the duke and all's contented followers. Go, you, and prepare Eliana. For look you, here comes my Rosalind. God save you, brother. And you, fair sister. Oh, my dear Orlando, how it grieves me to see thee wear thy heart in a scarf. It is my arm. I thought thy heart had been wounded with the claws of a lion. Wounded it is, but with the eyes of a lady. Did your brother tell you how I counterfeited to swoon when he showed me your handkerchief? (laughs) Aye, and greater wonders than that. Oh, I know where you are. Nay, tis true, for your brother and my sister no sooner met but they looked... No sooner looked, but they loved. No sooner loved, but they sighed. No sooner sighed, but they asked one another the reason. No sooner knew the reason, but they sought the remedy. And in these degrees have they made a pair of stairs to marriage, which they will climb incontinent, or else be incontinent before marriage. They are in the very wrath of love, and they will together. Clubs cannot part them. They shall be married tomorrow, and I will bid the duke to the nuptial. 
Oh, how bitter a thing it is to look into the happiness through another man's eyes. Why then, um, tomorrow I cannot serve your turn for Rosalind? Mm, I can live no longer by thinking. I will weary you then no longer with idle talking. Believe then, if you please, that I can do strange things. I have, since I was three year old, conversed with a magician, most profound in his art and yet not damnable. If you do love Rosalind so near the heart as your gesture cries it out, when your brother marries Eliana, shall you marry her? I know into what straits of fortune she is driven, and it is not impossible to me, if it appear not inconvenient to you, to set her before your eyes tomorrow, human as she is and without any danger. Speakest thou in sober meanings? By my life, I do. Therefore, put you in your best array. Bid your friends, for if you will be married tomorrow, you shall, and to Rosalind, if you will. Look, here comes a lover of mine and a lover of hers. You, you have done me much ungentleness to show the letter that I writ to you. I care not if I have. It is my study to seem despiteful and ungentle to you. You are there followed by a faithful shepherd. Look upon him. Love him. He worships you. Good shepherd, tell this youth what tis to love. It is to be all made of sighs and tears. And so am I for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede. And I for Rosalind. And I for no woman. It is to be all made of faith and service. And so am I for Phoebe. And I for Ganymede. And I for Rosalind. And I for no woman. If this be so, why blame you me to love you? If this be so, why blame you me to love you? If this be so, why blame you me to love you? Who do you speak to? Why blame you me to love you? Uh, to her that is not here, nor doth not hear. Pray you, no more of this. Tis like the howling of Irish wolves against the moon. Phoebe, I would love you if I could. Tomorrow meet me all together. I will marry you if ever I marry woman, and I'll be married tomorrow. Orlando, I will satisfy you if ever I satisfied man, and you shall be married tomorrow. Silvius, I will content you if what pleases you contents you, and you shall be married tomorrow. As you love Rosalind, meet, as you love Phoebe, meet, and as I love no woman, I'll meet. So fare you well. I have left you commands. I'll not fail if I live. Nor I. Nor I. Tomorrow is the joyful day, Audrey. Tomorrow will we be married. <laughs> I do desire it with all my heart, and I hope it is no dishonest desire to desire to be a woman of the world. Well met, honest gentleman. By my troth, well met. Come, sit, sit, and a song. It was a lover. And his lass with a hey and a ho and a hey nonny no that o'er the green cornfield did pass in the springtime, the only pretty ring time when birds do sing. Hey, ding-a-ding-ding, -ding, sweet lovers love the spring between the acres of the 
nonny, nonny, no. These pretty country folks would lie in springtime with a hay and a hoe and a hay, nonny, no. This carol they began that hour with a hay and a hoe and a hay, nonny, no. How that alive was but a flower in springtime, the pretty ring time with a hay and a hoe and a hay, nonny, no. And therefore take the present time with a hay and a hoe and a hay, nonny, no. For love is crowned with a prime in springtime, etc. Truly, young gentlemen, though there was no great matter in the ditty, yet the note was very untunable. You are deceived, sir. I kept time. I lost not my time. By my troth, yes, I counted, but time lost to hear such a foolish song. God be with you, and God mend your voices. Come, Audrey. Dost thou believe, Orlando, that the boy can do all this that he hath promised? I sometimes do believe, and sometimes do not. As those that fear they hope, and know they fear. Patience once more, whilst our compact is urged. You say, if I bring in your Rosalind, you will bestow her on Orlando here? That would I, had I kingdoms to give with her. And you say you will have her when I bring her? That would I, were I of all kingdoms king. You say you'll marry me, if I be willing? That will I, should I die the hour after. But, if you do refuse to marry me, you'll give yourself to this most faithful shepherd? So is the bargain. You say that you'll have Phoebe, if she will? Though to have her and death were both one thing. I have promised to make all this matter even. Keep you your word, O Duke, to give your daughter, you yours, Orlando, to receive his daughter. Keep your word, Phoebe, that you'll marry me, or else, refusing me, to wed this shepherd. Keep your word, Silvius, that you'll marry her, if she refuse me, and from hence I go, to make these doubts all even. I do remember in this shepherd boy some uh, lively touches of my daughter's favor. My lord, the first time that I ever saw him, methought he was a brother to your daughter. But, my good lord, this boy is forest-born and hath been tutored in the rudiments of many desperate studies by his uncle, whom he reports to be a great magician, obscured in the circle of this forest. There is, sure, another flood ford, and these couples are coming to the ark. Here comes a pair of very strange beasts, in which all tongues are called fools. Salutation and greeting to you all! Good, my lord, bid him welcome. This is the motley-minded gentleman that I have so often met in the forest. He hath been a courier, he swears. If any man doubt that, let him put me to my purgation. I have trod a measure. I have flattered a lady. I have been politic with my friend, smooth with mine enemy. I have undone three tailors. I have had four quarrels and like to have fought one. And how is that taken up? Faith, we met and found the quarrel was upon the seventh cause. How seventh cause? Good, my lord, like this fellow. I like him very well. By my faith, he is very swift and sententious. According to the fool's bolt, sir, and such dulcet diseases. But for the seventh cause, how did you find the quarrel on the seventh cause? 
Upon a lie seven times removed, I dislike the cut of a certain courtier's beard. He sent me word. If I said his beard was not cut well, he was in the mind. It was. This is called the retort courteous. If I sent him word again, it was not well cut. He would send me word. He cut it to please himself. This is called the quip modest. If again, it was not well cut, he disabled my judgment. This is called the reply churlish. If again, it was not well cut, he would answer. I speak not true. This is called the reproof valiant. If again it was not well cut, he would say, I lied. This is called countercheck quarrelsome, and so to the lie circumstantial and the lie direct. And how oft did you say his beard was not well cut? I durst go no further than the lie circumstantial, nor he durst not give me the lie direct, and so we measured swords and parted. Is this not a rare fellow, my lord? He's as good at anything and yet a fool. He uses his folly like a, like a stalking horse, and under the presentation of that, he shoots his wit. <gasps> to you I give myself, for I am yours. To you I give myself, for I am yours. If there be truth in sight, you are my daughter. If there be truth in sight, you are my Rosalind. If sight and shape be true, why then, my love, adieu. I'll have no father if you be not he. I'll have no husband, if you be not he, nor ne'er wed woman, if you be not she. Oh, my dear niece, welcome thou art to me. Even daughter welcome in no less degree. I will not eat my word. Now thou art mine. Thy faith, my fancy, to thee doth combine. Let me have audience for a word or two. I am the second son of old Sir Rowland, that bring these tidings to this fair assembly. Duke Frederick, hearing how that every day men of great worth resorted to this force, addressed a mighty power which were on foot in his own conduct, purposely to take his brother here and put him to this sword. And to the skirts of this wild wood he came, where meeting with an old religious man, after some question with him, was converted both from his enterprise and from the world, his crown bequeathing to his banished brother, and all their lands resorted to them again, that were with him exiled. This, to be true, I do engage my life. Welcome, young man. Thou offerest fairly to thy brother's wedding. To one his hands withheld, and to the other a land itself is large, a potent dukedom. First, in this forest, let us do those ends that here were well begun and well begot. And after, every of this happy number that have endured shrewd days and nights with us shall share the good of our returned fortune, according to the measure of their states. Meantime... Forget this newfallen dignity and fall into our rustic revelry. Play music, and you, brides and bridegrooms all, with measures heaped in joy to the measures fall. Sir, by your patience, if I heard you rightly, the dooth hath put on a religious life and thrown into neglect the pompous court? He hath. To him will I. Out of these convertites there is much matter to be heard and learned. Duke Senior... You, to your former honor, I bequeath. Your patience and your virtue well deserves it. Orlando, you, to a love that your true faith doth merit. Oliver, you, to your land and love and greatest allies. Silvius, you, to a long and well-deserved bed. And Touchstone, you, to wrangling, for thy loving voyage is but for two months victory. So to your pleasures. I am for other than dancing measures. Stay, Jake, we stay. 
to see no pastime I what you have. I'll stay to know in your abandoned cave. Proceed, proceed. We will begin these rites as we trust they'll end in true delights. not the fashion to see the lady the epilogue, but it is no more unhandsome than to see the lord the prologue. If it be true that good wine needs no bush, tis true that a good play needs no epilogue. Yet to good wine they do use good bushes, and good plays prove the better by the help of good epilogues. What a case am I in, then, that am neither a good epilogue nor cannot insinuate with you in the behalf of a good play? I am not furnished like a beggar, therefore to beg will not become me. My way is to conjure you, and I'll begin with the women. <clears throat> I charge you, O women, for the love you bear to men, to like as much of this play as please you. And I charge you, O men, for the love you bear to women, as I perceive by your simpering none of you hates them, <laughs> that between you and the women the play may please. If I were a woman... I would kiss as many of you as had beards that pleased me, complexions that liked me, and breaths that I defied not. And I am sure, as many as have good beards, or good faces, or sweet breaths will, for my kind offer, when I make curtsy, bid me farewell. Thank you for listening to As You Like It, Theater on Team's first ever audio-only show. For more information on future productions or to get involved, please visit us at www.theaterontheam.org.